Welcome to episode 199 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me on the podcast is T. Jefferson Parker to talk about Then She Vanished, the fourth installment in his Roland Ford series. <clears throat> it's great to talk to you again, Jeff. It really is. Yeah, nice to be here. Um, first, I can't believe that this is your fourth Roland Ford book. Um, uh, didn't we talk like last week about the series debut, The Room of White Fire? Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. You sign up for a book a year and all of a sudden you got four books, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> goes by quick. Um, although you have to say that this launch is different than every other launch. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, there's technology and, and we can share you with all of your legions of fans. <laughs> so there are many things about Roland, your protagonist, um, but chief among them is his special talent. And that is he can find people, both people who have, take, have been taken and people who have left on their own. So that got me to thinking, because if there's one thing we all seem to have more time to do, it's think um, of the subject of being lost. So stipulating that mysteries are all about finding out, uh, then she vanished. And for that matter, many of your novels are about getting and being lost. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, you know when I hatched Roland, I wanted to make a guy who was a great person finder. And one of the ways I thought that I could, I could do that was to make him kind of always on the search himself for someone. And he, kind of, and he is. Um, he's lost his wife, young wife, early on. Um, they were happy and much in love, and now she's very gone. And in some psychological way, he's still looking for her or for someone like her or for someone to, you know, uh, take her place. And, and, and this gives Roland a special empathy for uh, the, the, the person who comes into his office at, um, and, and asks his help in finding someone who's, who's gone missing, which is virtually what happens in all of my books. That's the, that's the first chapter. And in this book, uh, Roland is approached by a, a, an old uh, war acquaintance uh, from Afghanistan and in Iraq and uh, um, whose wife has gone missing. Thus, the book opens. And so also at the beginning of the book, uh, the very beginning, I think the second chapter, Roland is indulging in a bit of self-reflection on his lot in life and what he needs to be a private investigator has chosen line of work. And so that is being mostly sober, alert, and mission-driven. Uh, he concludes this line of thinking with, I am not above revenge. And I thought that was very interesting, especially since I believe I've read all of your books. Uh, and in the three, and then specifically in the previous three books, I certainly thought Roland was mostly sober, alert, and certainly mission-driven, but the revenge, it seems like this is another window into his soul. I, I hadn't seen the revenge before. Yeah, I hadn't either. You know, he's kind of developing a taste for it, I think. Uh, um, he's, you know, he gets rolled. He gets beat up on really bad in the third book. And uh, um, that, that sits poorly with him. And uh, it, it unleashes a little bit of a mean streak in him, I think. And Roland's a very circumspect guy. He's a moral guy. He's, uh, he's, he really is fairly slow to anger. Uh, but uh, when, if you've crossed a, a, a line in Roland's mind uh, and hurt him or people 
people who are innocent, then that, that unleashes a little bit of mean in him. And uh, he, he, he carries that with him and he, and he uses it when, when necessary. His, this, his case this time around, looks, it looks pretty straightforward. And there's a pun in that uh, at the <laughs> onset. <laughs> yeah. The wife of a California state assemblyman, uh, Roland, like most of all of your books, I think, takes place in Southern California. Uh, Roland lives in Fallbrook, which is in the sort of the north central part of San Diego County. Mm-hmm. Um, his, it's the wife of a state assemblyman. And he, as you mentioned, he's a, a veteran uh, Marine. He was wounded in the same war that Roland fought in. And he comes from a sketchy California family, which is not really uh, a sketchy California family and an elected uh, official is not really always mutually exclusive in real life or in your books. Uh, His wife has gone missing. And therein lies the sort of the case, because talk a little about Natalie Strait. Natalie Strait is is Dalton's wife. Um, She's a... uh, mid 30s I guess uh, late 30s maybe she's a uh, she's a mom she's a she's a wife she uh, sells BMWs part-time in Escondido <laughs> to make money because her uh, assemblyman husband doesn't make a lot they have two boys in college um, she also runs his campaigns he's, he's up for a mean third term as an assemblyman and he's up against a, um, a, 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 a woman who's probably going to unseat him so he's he, Dalton's a little desperate. His wife is running the campaign, and um, she is the one who goes um, suddenly missing. The only thing that that, that 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 Dalton knows for sure she's taken is her car and her purse, and uh, she's gone. But on the other uh, sort of the other side of the story that Roland becomes involved in, uh, just before Natalie Strait goes missing, bombings start. I thought that was just a fascinating juxtaposition. Uh, you've certainly had chaos and ma'am, and we'll talk about chaos in a second, in your books before, but I, I found the parallels of this particular uh, structure was just completely engaging. I read your book in 18 hours straight. Oh, wow. That's I mean, great I, to hear. That's just, great to hear. I could not put it down. Nice. Well, you know that that in, in the book I've created this this this. Uh, fictional, you know, group, if you will, who, who call themselves the Chaos Committee. And, and, and they're, they're, they, they begin by sending kind of small, hurtful, but not fatal bombs to certain people in California. And that, I, I based that character on the Florida cat who lived out of his van and was sending the letter bombs to um, celebrities, politicians who he didn't like. Um, and, and so uh, when that was happening about a year before I started writing this book in Florida, and I forget the specifics, but I think Robert De Niro was targeted and some politicians and other celebrities and people in the public eye uh, were, were, were nailed bombs uh, by this guy. That really got me, Nancy. I thought that was the spookiest and creepiest thing that, you know, now, you know, now it's to the point where you, you know, <laughs> the, the, the streets and bars are dangerous enough, you know, and the, I don't know, the churches and synagogues, but now you can't even open your mail without getting your fingers blown off, you know, and that, that got me, that really got me, because I didn't know when that letter bom- bomber guy would stop, and I didn't know when they get him, and they got him pretty quick, and uh, I don't think he killed anybody, but he, he maimed some people, and so anyway, that inspired my sense of fear and dread, and just general creepiness of opening your own mail that, that, that I hope um, kind of 
influences and permeates this book and, and, and sets people on edge. I hope the reader is deeply uncomfortable uh, during the reading of this book for the most part. It, it is, there is a creepy factor, and I mean that in the best possible way, Jeff. There is a creepy factor in this book that I haven't really felt since um, the middle of your Charlie Ford series. And we'll, we'll get back to Charlie Ford, uh, not Charlie, excuse me, Charlie Hood. Mm. Um, we'll get back to him in a second. Um, so the Chaos Committee, which, you know, it's a nice name because it's sort of like a, the, you see this collective of mad bombers. Yeah. Um, uh, they are makers and senders, and they are the story's disruptors. And as you said, they're, they're, they give a strong sense of discomfort. You don't know where they're going to strike next. They strike on live television. They strike the media. Um, but what I liked was this, you know, I liked it. And, and it wasn't Minions of the Devil, which brings us back to Charlie Hood, but still, they were pretty evil and very believable. As you said, it was, you know, it, uh, I had forgotten about, you know, of course, Florida Man, uh, which you can start almost any crazy headline with Florida Man. Um, yeah. But it was very believable. So, I, but you did mention where it came from. I just, yeah. And politics and prejudice, you know, as I mentioned, attacks on the media. Uh, and, and although they're not actual devils, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of conflict in this book. There's a lot of, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, Dalton Strait is running in a tough third uh, re-election, and he's running against a, a woman of Middle Eastern descent. And that's uh, bringing out s sort of the worst of some of the citizens of California. Yeah, well, that 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 does, and that's 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 an instance of a character. Um, his his opponent, um, the the Middle Eastern woman, um, just literally, you know, snatched, borrowed from from the news by me. I mean, there there, there could be no more succinct way to get to um, America's uh, um, oft oft uh, dislike and fear of Middle Eastern people than to just throw one into the middle of your book. You know, there she is, she's running, she's well-financed, she's an experienced politician, she's smart, um, she's well-financed by the Democrats and, and they are hell-bent on getting Dalton Strait removed from one of the last California assembly seats that, are, that is actually held by a Republican, which in fact is also true. I mean, the, the you know, California assembly is overwhelmingly Democrat. Uh, and so again, you know, I'm just kind of pulling from the news, if you will, from the headlines that you read, uh, all the things going on around us, especially in an election year. You know, I mean, I've, like you, I, I've felt this, this, you know, 2020 election coming on for, for four years. I mean, it started the day after the last election, right? Presidential election. So here we are, you know, and I think in the back of my mind, it was, it was, it was imperative that I um, uh, set this during the same time. I wanted to see this election happen. And I, I you know, I, I don't really mention any, anybody by name, politicians by name, um, but I, I kind of symbolize them all in Dalton Strait and this woman that he's running against. And I think uh, it's, you know, I can see how the 2018 midterm election may have influenced you. I don't, I do try to keep this a politics-free zone, but at the mm. same time, uh, three women that I can think of, three women of Middle Eastern descent were elected to federal, you know, to their, to the Congress. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was uh, surprising 
to, ever, to a lot of people. You know, it shouldn't be, but it was. And I think it's interesting that this is California where everybody thinks it's fruits and nuts and anything goes. Mm-hmm. You can see that there are many, all of the same um, sort of societal warts that you find elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. California is a great crucible for that kind of stuff. Things, things tend, not always, but often tend to happen here early. <laughs> early, often, and bigger. Yeah, there you go. Early, often, and bigger. <laughs> what um, every novelist looks for. <laughs> and what I liked about uh, this woman that, uh, that Dalton was running against, interestingly, she never shows up. Only her name. Mm-mm. That Her name is enough to sort of strike fear into Dalton and to be a, uh, just the spark of, of uh, desperation. And, you know, that it's, that's not easy to do, to have, a, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's very, it's actually Shakespearean. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the, the character behind the curtain that nobody sees, but everybody feels. Another yeah, it's kind of fun. I thought about having them debate, maybe, or I thought about putting her in the book, literally, give her, give, giving her a voice and some words. And I thought, nah, she, you know, she's a she, she's she's better off left a hot button if she's just a button. You know, I just I just put her in there, and that's enough. All you got to do is is hear a little bit about her biography and who she is. And then, I mean, the great part about her is not so much who she is or what she's done, but it's it's the story that Dalton tries to concoct about her. Yes. <laughs> by, by smearing her, her very reputation publicly based on almost no evidence whatsoever, you know. Uh, right. And there are shades of, of the political world that goes on in that uh, yeah. where there's finger pointing and uh, you introduce social media and sort of how that has taken over and and not in very good ways, no matter which side you break on the political spectrum. Yeah. It's, it's fraught. But let's talk about Roland and the woman he meets, who is uh, Dalton's sister. And, you know, the women that your protagonists meet are always complicated. Uh, and, and in, uh, is, it, is it, how do you pronounce her name, Tora? Tola. Tola. Tola's um, great, yeah. She's very much a straight, and, uh, which makes it interesting because he's dating or seeing or wants to see his client's sister, but she's also uh, in the marijuana business legally, but still uh, it, it presents some problems. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but, I mean yeah, yeah, we all know, you know, the, you know, the, the, the federal and state and local, you know, laws regarding marijuana are just, you know, confusing and contradictory and, you know, you know, very difficult for anyone to deal with. And Tola is, you know, she wants to be in the legal pot business, uh, as a lot of a lot of people do. And she's just not quite able to pull it off. Too many regulations, too dangerous. She's up against, uh, um, you know, cartel people who are not who are wanting to take over her her stores. She's got um, legal cannabis stores, a couple of them in uh, North San Diego County, tied in with the Indians, the reservations. Um, and so she's she's a, a hardcore businesswoman, and you know, a bit of a stoner. Um, she's also real smart, and um, she's real. Um, she's real fun. She's goofy. She really likes Roland, and um, she presents him with temptations on several levels. And um, Roland is generally um, more than happy to oblige because he, he likes her, and she pushes. Uh, she pushes buttons in him that have not been pushed for a while, and he's uh, 
he's ready for that. So he uh, he likes to roll out a ton, and together they get into some real, they get into some real <laughs> trouble. So <laughs> unlike Roland, who's usually you know the Boy Scout, the good guy, the uh, you know the straight arrow, um, we find out he's not quite as straight as as maybe uh, we think he is in some ways. And and I think that gives Roland a nice uh, a nice fullness, a nice roundness. You know, anybody can be anybody can be straight up, stand up, and you know, tough guy. But but Roland. Roland lets his hair down a little bit around Tola, and I kind of dig that. I like that. I think uh, there's this interesting juxtaposition, though. The first bomb, back to the bombers and the chaos committee, uh, and I'm not really giving away uh, much of the story, but the first bomb is sent from Fallbrook, which is where Roland lives, where he has his office. And his pal, sort of pal, um, at the FBI in San Diego, asks him to take a look at some pictures. And later on in the book, of course, there's, there's sort of this, this friction because uh, according to the, the FBI guy, what Toll is doing is illegal because by federal law, marijuana is illegal. Mm-hmm. By California state law, it is not. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I, I found that sort of interesting that there was almost like a, a jealousy on the FBI <laughs> guy's part. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're hanging with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Well, that 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 bifurcates the problem beautifully. When you have a, a private investigator who's who's uh, uh, you know kind of a, a a bit of a libertarian and an FBI guy, um, a Fed, you know, opposed uh, personally and professionally to to mar- marijuana use and growth, um, and a woman who does that, you know. So there's there's a three way uh, with all sorts of sparks that can fly a million a million different ways. I, and I tried to present that as, as, as types, you know, people with strong opinions um, about the same thing. But it was, it, it, it introduced what I thought was a sort of a much needed uh, spark of humor, because like you said, this is, this is a book that I found very compelling to read and very full of dread. Yeah, good. Oh, it needs some humor. I mean, any, any novel needs, needs to have that, that, um, Needs, needs to have something like that. <laughs> or it's going to be, uh, and I use the word loosely, deadly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But deadly I mean, not in the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darkness and, and, and tension and suspense are, 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 are better when they're not relentless. I think uh, when, when they're carbureted with humor and um, unexpected moments, uh, you, get a, you get a richer brew. So uh, you give a shout out to Charlie Hood when Roland was uh, right. down in Buena Vista. So thank you for that. Uh, and and I, this got me to thinking, uh, how could I not have known that Roland had worked with Charlie in Buena Vista, which I should say is right on the uh, border of uh, California and Mexico, one of quite a few cities that bifurcates the, the countries, you know, half mm-hmm. of it's on one country and half of it's in another um and people just walk across the street and walk from one country to the other yeah which i think is something some people i think is something that many people that don't live near the california mexican border it's not all the tijuana border crossing you know there are just towns that are live on both sides of the border so but did did you ever mention Roland in any of the Charlie Hood books? Oh no, we only know in retrospect that that Roland oh. worked has has worked you know pat, crossed paths with Charlie before. I, I I put that in there for no real re- richness of the story at all, but just for people like you and others who 
uh, have read other of my books. I, I thought it was just, I was just having fun. A lot of authors do that. So yeah, I just thought it was fun to, to bring uh, Charlie back for a, a guest yes. appearance. I almost put him in. I came that close to writing the scene between those two guys. And then I thought, nah, you're just, you're just, you're just goofing off with the past at that point. So I didn't. Well, uh, I did think it was, it was a nice uh, addition. And I did think yeah. it was specifically for me because it's all about me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're right. It was. <laughs> and 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 as you said, you know, I, Charlie may show up. He's a fascinating character, and he knows a lot of stuff. But that said, um, what is next for Roland? Because I don't think the story is over yet with him, is it? Oh no, no, I don't think so at all. There, there's there's a million ways you can take a series like this. You know, it could go on for thirty books if you wanted it to. Um, I don't know what's next for Roland. I'm taking a I'm taking a break from Roland next year. I'm going to publish a, a a standalone coming of age novel that I've wanted to publish for years, wanted to write for years. I'm working on it now. Um, give me a little breathing room to think about Roland and what might come next. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I I I, I would like to I would like to give him a um, you know a story worthy of his of his skills. And, um, and sometimes, and you know, sometimes it takes a little thinking to come up with the, with that. So anyway, I got a little time to think about that and time to write another book that I'm uh, very much enthused about and excited about. They've wanted to write for a while. So it's a, it's, it's kind of a cool position to be in. Well, that's good. I do like your, I do like your standalones uh, very, very much. So I'm looking forward to at least reading it. Hopefully we can talk about it on the podcast. Oh, so, as long so, as yeah. it's got some mystery element in it. Oh, it does. Okay. It does. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm going to take a, a little bit of, of veer because it's impossible on this podcast. You know, it does happen in the real world. And I've talked to a lot of writers since March. As a matter of fact, it's amazing how many writers are available. <laughs> uh, because this is different. You know, you're launching a series. I've talked to a couple of debut authors. It, it makes, you're not launching a series. You're in the middle of a series. It, it makes launching a book uh, unlike any other book you've ever launched before. So I'm wondering, what are you doing? Are you doing virtual readings, virtual signings? Are you taking naps? <laughs> yeah, all three, all three for sure. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not doing any physical travel. I, I, I'm not getting on one airplane and I'm not hailing one taxi and I'm not driving to LA or San Diego or anywhere, you know, it's all virtual interviews, kind of zoom meetings like we're doing now. Um, some are, uh, interviews and some are um, little panels that I do. I've been doing them with other authors, you know, there could be three or four on at the same time. And the, you know, the screen goes around and, and um, just exactly what we're doing now, you know, and the publisher is setting it up and they're calling it a tour and it is a tour. And uh, you can put the word virtual in or not, but everybody knows what you're talking about. Nobody's going anywhere um, to sign books and, in, in, you know, heavily populated bookstores or auditoriums <laughs> or anything like that, you know. So um, that's what I'm doing, Nancy. And, and, and I'll tell you the, uh, you know, the, you know, starting way back in, exactly in March when we all underwent the lockdown, um, I started, I, I, I began the novel that I'm working on now, next year's book. And, and since then, I have written at almost, not quite, but almost twice the normal pace uh, without spending twice the normal hours at all. I'm just writing more every day. And that's because 
I'm, I, I don't do anything. I don't go anywhere. You know, I'm here. I'm stuck. They, they, I'm under lockdown. You know, I go to the I go to the market every 10 days, get food, whatever provisions. And the rest of the time I sit here and I'll tell you, you know, I, 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 I like to write a lot. It's, it's, it's the only thing I'm really good at. And how, you know, how much home improvement can a guy do? <laughs> how, how, how many weeds can you pull and how many gardens can you tend? You know, well, not many, you know. So anyway, I've, just, I've been writing a ton and it's going well. And um, um, I, 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 I'm very, very blessed to be among those um, people who can work from home because that's what I've always done. So, well, you're also... You're also, I think the writing gods have smiled to, on you. I have spoken to writers who have said, and I actually include myself in this, that, you know, they're just too distracted by what's going on, even though they are used to sitting in a chair and looking at a screen and putting their hands on keyboards and writing. Some writers actually are, are having a great deal of difficulty because mm-hmm. of of sort of what's going on in the outside world on the other side of the wall. And, and yeah. so I'm, I'm very happy for you because that must be um, a comfort. Because how many gardens can you weed? How many closets can you call? There you, uh, go. you know, yeah. how, how, you know the just like empty cabinets, put it back in, and just yeah. you know, all the sort of things that, that you never had time to do before. Yeah. You have time you know, to like do. One of the things that's nice about what I'm doing now, too, is uh, I remember after uh, after 9-11, I was just kind of a, I was I was thrown back on, I, w- I was between books at that time, and I felt obligated to address 9-11 somehow, and I ended up not uh, in, in that next book, but I felt, I, I, I felt like my, my value, the value of my product had been diminished by 9-11 terribly, and, you know, in the sense, you know, who needs... You know, who needs another thriller at this point? Don't we need something more and better and to the point about what just happened to us? And, and the, the COVID's the same way. You know, I looked at myself and I thought, I thought, wow, I'm really, really glad that I don't have to write a book about COVID-19 right now because I've already started the book. I started in lockdown, like I said, and, and this is great. It's set in 1968 in Laguna Beach, so I couldn't have got farther away from COVID if I tried. And so when I go to work on this book every day, um, I'm back in 1968 as a 14-year-old guy, you know, and I'm in Laguna Beach, and I'm not dealing with COVID or 9-11 or anything else. And in some ways, that has freed me up to... Uh, to work, I think. Yeah, and that is a question that writers uh, have certainly uh, talked about and among themselves and, and uh, with yeah. writers like me. is It's like, well, I'm working on a book. Um, if it is in the present day, what do I do about COVID? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, so as usual, you, you have the t- exquisite timing. And so you've got a book set in 1968, which is a time I wouldn't mind revisiting. So I do look forward to it. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping you're not alone. <laughs> well, th- thanks again for joining us, Jeff. And, and you. Um, you know, right on. And as I said to you from time to time, write fast because okay. <laughs> we need more books from you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.